Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue our series, The Crossroad, today. So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11, verses 1 to 16, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Befriended. George Eliot, speaking of friendship, once said, Oh, the inexpressible comfort of feeling safe with a person, having neither to weigh thoughts or measure words, but pour them all out, just as they are, chaff and grain together, knowing that a faithful hand will take and sift them, keeping what is worth keeping, and then, with a breath of kindness, blow the rest away. I know many wonder, where can I find a friend like that? You know, there are many people, as we all know, who pretend friendship, but never meet the basic standards. I mean, standards of respect and loyalty, safety when sharing things, knowing they will be safe with them. Standards of knowing that when our backs are turned, our friends remain our friends. They truly have our backs. Friendship is about walking together. It's about having the same passions and the same goals. It's about enjoyment. It's about a relationship that's true and authentic. And it's about a relationship that endures. I do wish that every church was a place where these kinds of friendships were everywhere to be found. You know, I've entitled my message, Befriended, and we've been following Jesus through John 7 through 10, and this section of Scripture contains some of the highest theology of the identity of Christ. And then comes chapter 11, and because we know that this chapter contains the raising of a man from the dead, I mean, often we can't see beyond simply another expression of the greatness of Jesus. But if we see only that, and we should see that, but if we see only that, I I think we're missing something quite profound. There is a personal dimension here that gives us a glimpse of Jesus you might be quite surprised to find. It's a picture of Jesus whose life is rich with friends. Let me begin by reading John 11, 1 to 5. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Let me begin by giving a little geography lesson. You know, first of all, look back at John chapter 10, verse 40, which ended the last chapter, and it read, He went away across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. So then this is where Jesus was when he heard the news of Lazarus' illness. So where's that? Well, John 1.28, which effectively begins the story that's described in John, says, These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now, if Jesus was in Bethany and Lazarus was sick in Bethany, well, you'd expect that they were in the same town together. But in fact, that was not the case. And here there can be confusion. Jesus was in Bethany across the Jordan. It's a place that's also known as Betania, and it's also known as Bashan, and that is in the Old Testament. It's actually not a village. It's a region. It was not ruled by Herod, but by his brother, who was a more peaceful man named Philip. And it was here that Jesus would be safe from the Pharisees who were trying to kill him. That's why he went there after a very tumultuous several months of ministering in Jerusalem. 
Lazarus, on the other hand, lived in the village of Bethany, which was very close to Jerusalem. That was the center of the storm for Jesus. You know, in John 11, Jesus is about 150 kilometers from Bethany where Lazarus lived. You'll see why that's so important in just a moment. Now, Lazarus is ill, and so his two sisters, Mary and Martha, send a messenger to find Jesus and tell him about it. You know, in those days, remember, people had to walk, and the average distance a healthy person would walk is about, you know, 40 kilometers a day. You know, I've had a walking vacation with my wife, Kathy, and I can tell you we never did 40 kilometers a day. That's a lot. So four very long, exhausting days would get Jesus to where Lazarus was, or put it the other way around, the messengers who came to Jesus with the news had been walking for four days. Now, Lazarus has two sisters. Verse 2 tells us that one, Mary, it says in our text, she was the one that anointed his feet and wiped it with her hair. Now, the event of Mary anointing Jesus actually doesn't happen until the next chapter, and that does seem strange that John would mention this event before it took place. But in fact, Luke had already written his book and told the same story. You can read it in Luke 10. So, so John knows that his readers might want to know which Mary he's referring to, and so he identifies her here. And that brings us to the matter of friendship. Jesus had a very warm relationship with these two sisters and with their brother as well. Let me read Luke 10, verses 38 and 39. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him to her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. How it seemed after that that Jesus was often in that home. And out of his visits there, a friendship was born. And that friendship must have been especially rich, for it also included the brother, Lazarus. Now, verse 3 of our text says, Messengers came to Jesus, telling of Lazarus' very serious illness. Notice they don't have to mention his name. They simply say, the one you love is sick. And they don't have a request. You know, sometimes friends just look out for each other. And just a mention of a need launches the other one into action. I think that's what we find here. And notice again that Lazarus is called the one whom you love. And the Greek word used here for love is the word phileo. It's the Greek word for the love of friendship. You know, some of you might remember that David said after his friend Jonathan had died. 2 Samuel 1.26 has David saying, I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. You know, from that statement, there are those who believe that David and Jonathan had a homosexual relationship, and you know, that's profound nonsense. The fact is that throughout history, it has been quite acceptable for men to express love for other men and never think a single thing sexual about it. It just so happens that our society is so bathed in hypersexuality, we can't imagine the love of a man for another man. So I also think that the friendless North American male is a huge problem. So many men will tell you that they have no friends at all. You know, they might be a high-powered businessman or a professional man, and yet they have no friends, none at all. And what this passage tells us is that Jesus shared a rich friendship with this man, Lazarus. And here we learn that friendship was the way in which Jesus lived life. In this home in Bethany, Jesus could let his hair down. He could laugh. He could relax. He, he could unwind. He could be unguarded. 
He could share all his thoughts in an environment where he was loved. No one was looking to trap him here. This was the place where Jesus experienced joy and acceptance. I think this may surprise some of us because, you know, we can't imagine the Son of God in this way. We think of him preaching and healing and and driving out demons, challenging the Pharisees, announcing the kingdom of God. And, And of course, that is Jesus. It's an altogether accurate picture of who he is. But Jesus did more. He pursued and nurtured friendships with a select group of people. Yeah, he did minister to the crowds, but there was an authentic private life that we see in little glimpses. What does that tell you about authentic living? What does it tell you about what life is about? Let me try to illustrate that. You know, U.S. columnist George Will once told why he didn't like football. He said it combines two of the worst things about American life. And those things, he said, are violence punctuated by committee meetings. But isn't that just how it is with some of our faith? I mean, some of us think about the church that way. How we think of church as worship services punctuated by committee meetings. I mean, the place where rich and trusted friendship is encouraged and nurtured and celebrated, uh, that's often absent in the heart of doing things that we need to do. That is to some degree because of the society that we live in. You know, a great many sociologists are pointing out that the greatest problem with North American society today is that so many people are absolutely friendless, even in large cities. Randy Frazee believes that North Americans are among the loneliest people in history. And we're so busy with commuting and running the kids around and I guess moving every four years to get a better house or a better job. And our extended families might live thousands of kilometers away and we actually don't know anyone very well. And we substitute relationships for entertainment because it relieves the mind and it requires no commitment and very little cost. And that way we are impoverished. And that's why so many are soul sick today. What I think then is that it can be valuable to describe a friendship the friendship of Jesus and a man named Lazarus. Heidi wrote in to say, I discovered your program last summer, and since then, well, I've learned so much from the expository teaching of the Bible. Well, thanks, Heidi. You know, it's hearing the stories of friends like you that assures us that the Bible teaching program is making a difference. If you believe in the importance of sharing the Word of God across our nation, perhaps you'd consider offering a financial gift to support Back to the Bible Canada this month, or consider becoming a monthly partner. Your regular gift ensures that the daily Bible teaching program is heard in your community and right across the country. Your gift of any amount allows the Word of God to reach those searching for truth. To send a one-time gift or to become a monthly partner, call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us at backtothebible.ca. That's 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. John 11, verse 4, has Jesus remarking that after hearing of the sickness of his friend, well, immediately he concludes that this is so the Son of God could be glorified through it. It tells me that friendship and God's glory do work together in the mind of Jesus, and they work together in every godly friendship. 
What I think Jesus meant in verse 4 is that he is convinced that death is not the final outcome in the Lazarus story. Lazarus and his illness will result in the display of the great glory of Christ. Well, we know that it will because he's going to raise him from the dead, but I want you to hold that thought for a moment. It's not just that he will be raised. I think there's more here. Verse 5, for the second time, uses the word love. You know, in verse 3, Lazarus is called the one whom Jesus loved. And we noted there that it was the Greek word phileo, or the love of friendship. But in verse 5, John chooses a different word. And here he chooses the word agapao. And that's the ultimate form of love. It's that selfless love. It's the love of God. So that tells me that John combines two things. The love of friendship, which ultimately touches the love of God. Now, I want you to notice verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, notice this verse begins with the word so. If you happen to be using the NIV, it uses the word yet because it wants to indicate that in spite of the fact that Lazarus, his friend, was ill, Jesus stayed where he was for two days yet. But that's not what the original language reads. It does begin with the word so or with the word because. Because Jesus loved Lazarus, he stayed put for two days. He didn't go anywhere. He was determined not to go until Lazarus had died, and he did this because he loved him. So why? You know, in the ancient Jewish world, there was a myth that was there at the time of Jesus. It was the idea that the soul hung around the body for three days after death. And during this time, if a person died, it was considered by them possible that they might revive and that wouldn't be a miracle. So Jesus has something else in mind. He wanted God to be glorified in Lazarus. He wanted to build the faith of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and he wanted them to witness a stunning breaking in of the might and the power and the love and the promise of Almighty God. He was waiting to reveal that to his friends. Ultimately, that's what Jesus wanted for his friend. Friendship for Jesus was, you know, it wasn't just a matter of hanging out and letting your hair down and have the audacity to call someone at 3 a.m. It was about seeing the glory of God together. The best friendships, you know, they're the friends that you pray with. They're the friends you can speak with about what God has done. Real friendship and the outworking of your faith, those things are connected. You know, C.S. Lewis, I think, put it well. He said, we picture lovers face to face, but friends side by side, their eyes look ahead. That's why those pathetic people who simply want friends never make any. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. Friendship must be about something, even if it's only an enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice, he says. You know, those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. See, that's what I think the point is. It's that the friendship of Jesus is connected with the friendship of faith and mission and desiring the glory of God together. That's what connected Jesus with his friends. And there's something else that we can learn about friendship here. It is about inconvenience. You know, perhaps that word is trite, but listen to verses 7 to 10. I, I trust you understand what I'm getting at. It says, then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? 
If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. See, I can understand the concern of the disciples. Jesus, you're proposing a very long trip and it's a very dangerous journey. We could easily be killed on this trip. And that's what the disciples saw. It was a a needless, dangerous journey. But I see another issue here. As we know from reading John, Jesus was at the very brink of an important journey. At Passover, he would make the journey to Jerusalem to die on the cross. The entire plan of God for all the ages was coming together. And if you let me, let me describe this moment. God created the world with a cross in view. Indeed, long before the creation, God had planned the cross. And this very moment in time was the most significant moment in the history of creation itself. This was the fulfillment of the long plan of God. And then comes this notice. Your friend's sick. Takes four days to get there. Number of days to spend with everyone, four days back. This is like two weeks out of a very, very busy and important schedule. And that's understating it. But friendship is about convenience or is it? In fact, friendship is inconvenient at a certain level. So go ahead to verse 9. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. You know, at one level, it might seem that Jesus is saying, let's walk in the daylight. We can be safe then. But there's a deeper meaning here. You can't read John without getting a sense of Jesus' timing. He kept speaking about the hour. First, he would say that his hour has not yet come. And then when he was crucified, he said his hour had come. See, Jesus is aware that God has a timetable for him, and he will die at God's appointed hour. At that time, when that day is over and the darkness comes, when all men stumble. In other words, until my hour is at hand, says Jesus, I will not die. Jesus knew that, and we should know that when we read the gospel. And so recognizing that God had a detailed timetable for him, while that didn't somehow disrupt the friendship that he had for Lazarus. And if that's true for Jesus, let me speak to each one of us. I don't know what your schedule looks like, but I'm going to say something I know to be true. Whatever you're doing is not more important than what Jesus was doing. I say this because so many people have no time. You know, I I work an exhausting day. I have no time to develop intimacy with people at my church. Wow. Are there not 12 hours in the day? Is not that an indictment? Have we not seen friendship as something that's nice if we can get it, but it's not essential? That is an indictment. So let's go to verses 10 to 15. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus had fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking a rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now, it's not a lack of love that caused Jesus to wait until Lazarus had died. Rather, it was his friendship that made him wait. So let's try to explain that. We've already said that Jesus was going to use this event to glorify himself, but but how? You know, prior to Lazarus, we know that Jesus had already raised two people from the dead. Luke 7 tells us of Jesus raising up a young man, the only son of a widow from Nain. And then Luke 8 tells of him raising the daughter of a synagogue ruler named Jairus. 
Yeah, he had raised others, but but this was different. This miracle here would foreshadow his own death and resurrection. This miracle that he was about to perform would show that he is the resurrection and the life. This miracle would prove that he is who he says he is. And the context would be friendship, not just with Lazarus. Again, look at verse 11. Jesus says, our friend Lazarus is dead. That is to say, all the disciples also shared this friendship. This miracle would happen within the context of a group together who loved one another. So let's read verse 16. After having been told that Lazarus had died, the disciples are shocked and they're immediately grieving. Verse 16. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I know that poor Thomas is always getting a bad rap in the Bible. Well, it's often deserved, but not here. You know, at first glance, it looks like he's saying something that, you know, it sounds idiotic. Let us go to Bethany to die with Lazarus. I mean, what does that mean, goodness? But in fact, there's, there's something rich about it. Thomas hasn't caught what Jesus meant when he said that there were 12 hours in the day. He doesn't know why Jesus knows he cannot die except in Jerusalem and, for that matter, at Passover. Thomas missed that. He thinks they all might die together on the road to Bethany and that the enemies of Jesus might catch them on the road to Bethany and kill all of them. And he says, that's a risk I'm willing to take. For the sake of our mutual friend, let's take that risk together. That's what Jesus himself taught, John 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, and someone lays down his life for his friend. Friendship was important with Jesus, so must it be with us. John, you know, when some people think about church, they don't necessarily think about friendship. Should we? Yeah, I know. Um, it's so important, especially, Ben, you know, my experience, especially with people who, uh, when they come to Christ, have a family that, you know, kind of excommunicates them. If they don't have a new family among the people of God, I, what in the world do they have left? So we're the family of God, and family is involved in deep and intimate friendship that has a common passion together and a common goal together. So I think uh, we need to be much more intentional uh, in the way in which we do church so that uh, friendships don't just sometimes happen. They are what we do. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series in the book of John, The Crossroad, right here on Back to the Bible Canada where we teach the Bible. Have you heard? Back to the Bible Canada and Laugh Again are inviting you on a cruise. February 7th to the 16th, 2020, we'll be setting sail for the Southern Caribbean. And we want you to join us for a nine-night cruise adventure that will leave you not only physically refreshed, but spiritually as well. Experience ports of call, including Aruba, Bonaire, and Curacao. Dr. John Newfeld will be joining us, providing amazing Bible teaching that will inspire and deepen your walk with Jesus. Phil Calloway will lift your spirits and perhaps make you laugh in a way you've never laughed in years. And be encouraged by the music of friends Shane and Angela Weeb. It's a fantastic opportunity for a vacation while experiencing great Bible teaching, laughter, and fellowship. So for more information, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or head over to backtothebibletours.ca. That's 1-800-663-2425 
or visit us at backtothebibletours.ca.